Welcome to TYT Interviews, and we've got a very interesting interview for you guys today. It's with Kevin DeLeon. He's the president pro temp of the California State Senate and the candidate against Dianne Feinstein for the Senate seat in California. Senator DeLeon, welcome to the Young Turks. Well, Jack, thanks a lot for the invitation. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So, you're in a unique situation because you, in here in California, the top two get into the the general election, and you're a Democrat running against another Democrat, uh, Diane Feinstein, that, that people know well of. And we're in a unique situation because um, uh, I think almost everybody in the Young Turks audience knows that uh, I, I supported a different candidate in the primary. Okay, Allison. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So uh, let's get uh, the elephant in the room out of the way. Okay, <laughs> there's no elephant in the room. Okay, she's that's really, true. She's good people. She's yeah. good people. Well, literally in California, there's no elephant in the room. <laughs> it's, it's, it's two <laughs> Democrats running. Uh, so, but in in the beginning, there was 37 people running, and Allison Harson was one of them. You were another, and you you won that race. You and Feinstein and moved on. But uh, I'll tell you why. Um, I wanted to support Allison, and then you tell me why I was wrong not to support you. Sure. Okay. So. And I will. Okay, and you will. <laughs> good, good. Uh, so, I was worried that you took corporate PAC money, and and I was worried that um, that you were an establishment politician uh, who would r climb the ladder, uh, and and I was worried that that's the uh, the. The pattern that you would follow if you got into the Senate. So, why was I wrong about that? A couple things. One, let me say something about about Allison. Allison, I thought was a wonderful candidate. Um, I love her values. I, I love her convictions. Um, I said it very clearly uh, in one of the uh, uh, town hall forums. In fact, with Bernie Kratz of Los Angeles, if, if she were to make it to the top two, I, I would be openly and publicly. In support of Allison, I love her values again. I love her convictions, and I think she was a very exciting candidate. Um, listen, I'm the youngest child of a single immigrant mother with a third grade education. My mother was a housekeeper. She had the courage of her convictions to cross a border against a, a, a current of, of bigotry, and this was a woman who worked her fingers to the bone. And this was a woman who uh, was both a mother. And a father who put the roof over my head, who put the clothes on my back, who put the food on the table. I had never been elected to any political office in my life. I was never a city council member, a county board supervisor, school board member, community college trustee, a water board, young college Democrat, you know, ASB president, senior class president. I'd never been elected to anything, zero zilch, until I ran for the state assembly. Um, I was lucky enough to win the state assembly, and then I left the state assembly early and ran for the state senate. Um, these are very dangerous times in our nation's history. These are very unprecedented times in our nation's history with Donald Trump who occupies the White House today, who's a very clear and present danger to our economic prosperity, to our values, to our progressive values, and to our people. So I made a decision that I think that someone needs to run. And you're right, there were a lot of candidates. When you open up that ballot, it looked like the white pages. It was 32 candidates. A lot of folks didn't know who Allison was. A lot of folks didn't even know who I was either, mm -hmm. truth be told. And we, I wasn't even sure if I'd make it to the top two, uh, but I did. Uh, and I've been storming the state of California up and down. And let me be very clear about one thing too, because you make a very good point, and I respect the point. You know, I'm not accepting corporate PAC money into my campaign for U.S. Senate. There's only one check that I've received, and that check is from Univision. And Univision, they're my sisters and brothers. 
they've been with me in the trenches since day one. They're uh, the legitimate news uh, source for so many Latino immigrants, working families up and down the state of California throughout the entire country. And that's the only one uh, I've received, not receiving one single penny uh, from the corporate world. And I do support uh, public financing. Uh, I believe there is too much money uh, in our campaigns uh, today. And I think that does influence uh, good men and women uh, on both sides of the aisle. And uh, I've made it very clear, I'm not taking a penny uh, from corporate uh, America. Let's talk about uh, why you ran for office in the first place, the sure. first time you ran for assembly. I know you work for some nonprofits, but what possessed you to run for office when you'd never done anything like that before? That's a good question, because I was an organizer. I was a community organizer. Um, that's where I cut my teeth politically. Back in the, the mid-90s, uh, 1994, there was a really mean-spirited, pernicious ballot initiative in California, Proposition 187. And Proposition 187 would have expelled uh, young children, uh, children who were undocumented, from our public school systems would have denied uh, uh, health care services to undocumented families. And unfortunately, uh, tragically, it passed uh, in California uh, overwhelmingly. At that time, there was a really strong economic recession. Uh, the downsizing of the Department of Defense budget because the Cold War was no longer uh, in existence. The Soviet Union had completely uh, uh, disintegrated. Uh, Glasnost, Petrostroika, under Gorbachev. You had a new world order in, in so many words. And then in California, especially in Southern California, you had a very strong aerospace industry. So as a result of this economic recession, you had so many working families who lost their jobs, they lost their homes, and the inability uh, to put a roof over their children's head. And what we, I witnessed were politicians, not just re Republicans, but there were some Democrats too, who took the complexities of these massive global issues and reduced them in a very simple way. You lost your job, you lost your house because of immigrants who work as dishwashers in Santa Monica or in a bistro on the west side of LA or elsewhere. And I saw the, 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 the cowardly acts of these politicians. So that's why I cut my teeth politically. I made a decision, well, perhaps one of us has to run, not necessarily me, but maybe some of my friends who are organizers. I taught ESL, English as a second language, US history, civics to adult immigrants who are becoming naturalized citizens and some of them legal permanent residents. So that's why I made the decision to run for office back in 2002, uh, 2006. So uh, your uh, mom was undocumented? At one time, and then she eventually became a legal permanent resident, but she never became, a, a, unfortunately, a US citizen. Okay, and, uh, and so it's possible under Trump that they would have taken her away? Well, the, uh, it is very possible under Trump they would have taken her away. Uh, and um, it just sort of kind of demonstrates how personal this is to me because had I been a very young child and my mother undocumented at this time, clearly they would have targeted someone like my mother. And nowhere is it possible that in a state like California that the youngest child with a single immigrant mother with a third grade education could rise to become the leader of our California State Senate and make it into the top two to run against a multi-billionaire for the U.S. Senate for the most populous state in the country. That's what makes California such a magical place. Uh, I read today, and tell me if this is wrong, and I was kind of confused, that you're Asian, that your dad is of <laughs> Chinese descent, is that true? I have some Chinese, I have yeah. some Chinese, yes, uh -huh. that is accurate. Yeah. And, but you, both your so parents sort of were from Guatemala. I have uh, uh, Guatemalan, Central American, uh, Chinese, mm -hmm. and Mexican, and I grew up on the border. Uh-huh, okay. So I think I'm all California, in Okay, that all right, well that is pretty California, I'll give you that. So, all right, so that's why you got into politics in the first place. Why run against uh, Dianne Feinstein? What's wrong with her? 
Well, when we have to sort of kind of go back a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, on November 8th, uh, 2016, when um, the impossible happened, Donald J. Trump was elected through the Electoral College system to become president of the United States. Um, I made a decision, albeit somewhat controversial with some folks, that I would help lead the resistance because I identified Donald J. Trump as, as I stated a few moments ago, is a clear and present danger to our economic prosperity, to our progressive values, and to our people. So I made a decision that we would move forward on sanctuary states, that we would move forward with 100% clean energy, double down on our commitment to climate change. Um, I would try to enshrine uh, certain federal laws to state laws like the Endangered Species Act, Clean uh, Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Safe Drinking Water Acts. Um, federal laws that were on the chopping block to be eviscerated by Donald Trump and by then EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. So I decided to make these preemptive decisions, these strikes to protect California. And fast forward uh, into 2017 uh, when I heard that the senior senator stated that we should be patient with Donald Trump uh, with the hopes that perhaps he can become a good president in the future. Um, that hit me like a two-by-four across the forehead. And that comment that was made was made three weeks after the tragedy of Charlottesville, Virginia, where we saw jackbooted neo-Nazis, where we saw members of the Ku Klux Klan, where we saw white uh, supremacists, uh, white nationalists marching in unison at night with the torches that shall not be replaced. And then the tragedy happened the following day when a young woman was killed intentionally by the, 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 the white nationalist driving uh, his car into the crowd. I thought to myself, this is the senior senator of the most diverse state, uh, the most uh, economically powerful state uh, in the country, if not in the entire world. How could you make such a comment? Which demonstrated to me a major disconnection to what is happening in our communities for young children who fear after school will their mother come pick them up after school because they don't know if an ICE agent has uh, swept them into detention and incarceration. Uh, families who may be bankrupted because they can't afford the co-payments or deductibles uh, for health care, uh, the air that we breathe into our lungs, the existential threat of climate change. All of these issues that are, that are crashing on our shoulders today, that, that to me demonstrated the senior center had a huge disconnect to what is happening today. And quite frankly, our values are not being represented in Washington, D.C. today. Well, then what do you think her values are? Well, I can't speak for her values. What I can speak is, is for what my values are. What my values are is I want to fight for Californians to elevate the minimum wage, like California, $15 an hour to $15 an hour across the nation. The dysfunction, the inaction of Washington, D.C., it's seven twenty-five an hour still at the national level. What's her position on that? Um, I don't know what her position is, but I can tell you this. On the issue of Medicare for all, um, I don't believe for Medicare for some. Uh, she doesn't believe in Medicare for all. On the issue of immigration reform, we're 20 years after the fact. We still don't have immigration reform in the state of California. We have the largest number of immigrants from all over the world here in California. Yet our voice, the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, um, has not taken a leading voice on the issue of immigration reform. On the issue of health care for all. On the issue with regards to climate change. See, one thing I want to really emphasize, uh, Jenk, is you can say I'm for clean air. Who's going to say you're for dirty air? <laughs> right. You can say um, yeah. for health care for everybody, but be very specific with regards to Medicare for all and what the specific proposal is. You're going to say I oppose uh, climate change. That's one thing. But another thing is to actually move the measures, even if you're in the minority. Mathematically, 
impossible with the current crop of Republicans on the House side, on the Senate side. But how you organize around these issues, how you amplify these issues at a national level, how you take this fight even to red states, and how you can communicate to folks who perhaps voted for Donald Trump that, hey, these are measures that are nonpartisan, non-ideological. These can prove the human condition regardless of who you are and where you're from. And I think that's why Californians want a real fighter in Washington. So you just mentioned real fighter, and I think that there's an argument to be made against Dianne Feinstein, and I have made it, that, uh, that she's not fighting uh, for progressives in California. Um, on the on some of the issues, though, uh, so for for example, immigration reform, she'll uh, lean on the fact that hey, we're in the minority, there's nothing we can do. I mean, that's a typical Democratic response. But uh, on some of the issues, she's just not with us on on Medicare for all, for example, she's against it. So. Any sense of, of why she's against it and why the seemingly the Democratic establishment is against it? Well, it, it's not so much that it's a, 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 a criticism or a, even a, a constructive criticism of the senior center from California. I, I think that the values that we share are dramatically different from the values that that she shares, that she adheres to. Um, um, when you were born into privilege and you, you grew up in privilege, uh, a privileged life, um, um, the, the urgency of having uh, access to quality health care or having health care at all is, is maybe not an urgent thing. I grew up the vast majority of my childhood without access to, to um, health care. Um, so many uh, folks in our community, uh, their uh, HMO, their PPO, it's not uh, Blue Shield or Blue Cross or even uh, HealthNet or, or Kaiser. It's the ER room at a county hospital. That's how you get your preventative medicine. And when a woman has, say, for example, uh, a lump in her breast, you know, a tumor that's already metastasized, we find out it's too late because she never had health care, access to quality health care to begin with. And that's why we have a broken health care system today that's unsustainable. But these are the issues that I don't think that she's connected to, the issue of, of college education. And if your children are, are lucky enough through hard work, to get into admitted to University of California or Cal State University system, for that matter, any independent nonprofit uh, college, whether it be Stanford or USC or Loyola or Occidental. I mean, the issue of can I pay this college education? I've been admitted, but can I actually afford it? And will I be saddled with a mountain of debt on my shoulders easily well into my 30s, 40s, even 50s? You know, and I think so many Californians, so many Americans are saddled with these big issues. So. If you carry these values, not just um, articulate them as if they're talking points, if you will, you know, uh, from Washington, D.C., but if you feel them here uh, in your gut and your heart and you understand the pain and the trials and tribulations of family members who go through this every single day, regardless of who you are and where you come from, then you have this sense of urgency. And the sense of urgency drives you to move policies with a sense of intentionality, a sense of purpose, because it's who you are. It's not like... This is a, a, a talking point, a value that I have to adhere to per my talking points, but something that comes from here. And I think maybe perhaps that's the disconnect that exists right now. Again, it's not a criticism, but I think that our, our, our upbringings are, are dramatically different. And the way our lives have been shaped and the prism in which we view the world and, and who we're connected to and who we're not connected to 
that manifests itself in terms of the policies that you move and the policies that you really move with a sense of urgency. So uh, let me, you mentioned college, let me ask a couple of questions related to that. Uh, so college for all, uh, free tuition uh, at the state colleges, are you in favor of that? Yeah, I'm in favor of it. In fact, uh, what we did is we've gone one step towards that in, in California. Uh, I helped, uh, it's already in effect uh, this year. Uh, your first year of community college will be tuition free. Uh, regardless of your income level. So if you're down the street and going to Santa Monica College or LA City College or for that matter, San Francisco College, any community college in California, regardless of your income level, uh, the first year of tuition uh, will be free. Uh, what the challenge has always been is that when people talk about a college education, they never factor in what the total cost of education is. It's not just mm -hmm. high tuition and very, very expensive books. It's about something called life. Life is paying for your rent, to put a roof over your head, it's about food, it's about gas, money, it's about uh, bus pass, you know, all of these factors. That's why you have so many young folks graduating five, six, seven years at a four-year university. And when they're saddled with that much more debt because they have to work a job or two, or let's say you're a single parent and you have children, you're not graduating in four years. That's the, that's the ideal situation. But you're graduating five, six, seven years. And that's why we have so many young students right now saddled with so much debt. We need to reinvest and reprioritize what our values are as a country. Instead of looking for more wars throughout the world and spend trillions of dollars, you know, bombing uh, uh, other countries, why don't we build our own uh, national domestic security in California, in the United States of America, and reinvest in the most precious asset that we have? which are Americans and Californians. So you mentioned uh, more than tuition. So is there a specific proposal that you're behind? Uh, would it, is there a proposal that you think should cover more than tuition? I think we should be able to cover all tuition. I think we should be able to cover the expense, the, the, the question of books uh, and why they're so expensive. Books and materials are absolutely uh, out of reach for many students here. They cost an arm and a leg. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, on the issue, we should be also given stipends because a stipend is your cost of living, it is the cost of living, the food, it is the roof over your head, whether it's the dormitory, whether it's off-site uh, housing, campus housing, whether it's an apartment, a studio, whatever it may be. I think we as a national government have to invest. Listen, we have gone, we're in two wars right now. We're in Iraq and we're in Afghanistan. Uh, these wars are 17 years ongoing, have cost us uh, a total of $6 trillion. $6 trillion that we could easily have spent on Medicare for all, on investments in the clean energy space, on, on, on precision medicine and finding a cure for Alzheimer's, for Parkinson's, for ovarian cancer, uh, for debt-free college education. What's going on in Washington, D.C. is that the values are upside down. And that's why we need to reprioritize what our values are as Americans. So uh, one more on, on college. Uh, now an idea that is uh, gaining some steam is uh, just simply forgiving the college debt that exists. The current there. debt that exists the current right now. Debt. Yes. Um, I have to confess that I, the first person I heard it from was Jill Stein back in 2016, and I thought it was a bridge too far. This is the first time I'm kind of hearing it too myself. You know? Yeah. And so, but now having seen how much they've given in tax cuts to the rich, I'm beginning to reconsider it. Why not? Yeah. So, uh, any take on it or, or just, you Well, know. you know, it's a little more complex of an answer because I know there is an industrial complex that has been created with servicing debt loans uh, right now that's in the private uh, sector right now and folks are reaping profit, you know, on servicing these types of loans and 
quite frankly, the longer that you take to pay off that loan, the better for them because they reap much more profit. So um, there's a huge industry that's been created, and I think that's wrong. It's, uh, we're trying to get an education which appreciates what value over a course of time of the knowledge and, and the wisdom that you have uh, uh, been able to, to ascertain to secure uh, being exposed you know, uh, to so many uh, professors. Um, I'm open to always, I'm always open uh, to different ideas and different concepts, no matter how far reaching, no matter how polemic. I, always, I never say no. I'm, I'm open to ideas, to listening to folks and getting uh, their input. So uh, at least one more thing about Diane Feinstein, uh, which is um, something you alluded to earlier. We obviously have the uh, Christine Blasey Ford Kavanaugh situation that just happened, and Diane Feinstein was a pivotal character in that in that um, um, play, if you will. Uh, and she got the Ford letter. Uh, she uh, Blasey Ford reached out to her. She held it, uh, and then it was released by others. Um, so. Uh, and then, of course, she's the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee. Now, she's in a difficult position. I'm not positive what I would have done. I'm curious uh, how you think you would have handled it. Well, there's a couple things. Or I would, how she handled it. Uh, there's, well, there's a couple things I would have done differently. Um, number one, um, I would never have enabled a vote for uh, Brent Kavanaugh uh, to be on the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. That's the D.C. Court of Appeals, which is the farm club, if you will. It's the last step before the US Supreme Court. And back in 2006, many of the Democrats were warned that if in fact you confirm this appointment to the DC Court of Appeals, um, Brent Kavanaugh could possibly be a US Supreme Court nominee uh, in the future. Uh, his views were already well known with regards to him working very closely with uh, Ken Starr uh, during the impeachment uh, proceedings of then present uh, Bill Clinton, this was during the New Gingrich Revolution, uh, the contract with America period uh, back in the 90s. So his views on women, his views on voting rights, civil rights, our environmental laws were very well known. Um, so I would never have voted. And then uh, Barbara Boxer, senator from California, voted no. Uh, Harry Reid, the minority leader, voted no. Uh, Chuck Schumer, the current minority leader from New York, voted no. The late Ted Kennedy, Hillary Clinton voted no. Dick Durbin, Patty Murray, uh, Bob Melendez, you know, they all voted no. John Kerry, the U.S. senator representing the most diverse state, the most progressive state in the union, who voted yes to enable a vote and working with the Republicans was Senator Dianne Feinstein. So number one, I would never enable this vote for Brian Kavanaugh. So you have to be strategic. You should give everyone a fair hearing, regardless of their political persuasion, the ideology. There's no question about that. But also at the same time, uh, to enable one whose views are well known, I would never have done that. Secondly, I would never vote to allow 60%, 60% of Donald J. Trump's nominees to the federal bench, which are not a term-limited uh, uh, bench. It is a lifetime appointment. 60% of judges who will now undo a woman's right to choose, Roe versus Wade, uh, again, our workers' rights, our civil rights, our voting rights, our environmental laws. Um, who knows what's going to happen with the issue of DACA when it comes to another appellate court and eventually to the U.S. Supreme Court. So to confirm 60% of Donald J. Trump's nominees to the bench is irresponsible. And it's a failure of leadership. Can I just ask real quick? I don't know the answer to this. I don't know if you know, but what's the Democratic average 
uh, for confirming Donald Trump's uh, appellate? That's a very good question. That, that I don't know off the top of my head, but I would say um, that uh, the senior senator from California, Feinstein, uh, has one of the highest percentages of uh, uh, votes affirmatively for uh, Trump appointees to the federal bench as well as to cabinet positions and other appointments uh, under the, the level of secretary that do require uh, legally an official confirmation vote from the US Senate. So uh, I, I'm sure that she brags about our bipartisanship, which I think is from an old era uh, when there was a party you could work with. So, uh, and, I, and I understand all that. But let's talk about uh, as well the this current situation. So Kavanaugh does get to this spot. I hear what you're saying about how you could have prevented it in other ways. Uh, she gets a letter from uh, uh, Dr. Blasey Ford. It's a difficult situation she's in. Do you think she handled it right, wrong, somewhere in the middle? Well, uh, number one, first and foremost, the confidentiality of Christine Ford is uh, paramount. That is the absolute most critical thing is to make sure uh, her confidentiality is well guarded. Um, what I would have done had I had possession of this letter is first and foremost, absolutely made sure that uh, her confidentiality would be kept. If I had the sense of assurance in every which way imaginable that this would be uh, uh, well guarded and held, I would have spoken with my colleagues, my Democratic colleagues on the Judiciary Committee and say, we have some potentially explosive information with regards to the character of the Supreme Court nominee before the Judiciary Committee. When I had the one-on-one, -on -one, uh, hypothetically, one-on-one -on -one private meeting uh, with uh, Brent Kavanaugh, I would have asked him, not very specifically to a time frame or to high school, but sort of a large, if you will, uh, uh, open-ended question. Have you ever uh, sexually assaulted anybody? whether as a member of the D.C. Court of Appeals, whether as an adult male, whether as a member of law school, undergraduate or high school, see what the answer is. You get back the answer, you note it, and you put it away. Uh, there's many things that you could have done, but I want to really underscore the following. First and foremost would have been uh, the confidentiality in uh, making sure that we protect Christine Ford. What is sad and what is unfortunate, what is tragic, is that Brent Kavanaugh has now been confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. He, he has already assumed his, his role and responsibilities uh, on the U.S. Supreme Court, the highest court of the land. And what's very sad is today, Christine Ford continues to be threatened. Her life is, 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 is being threatened every single day. Uh, she's moving uh, uh, constantly, you know, all over the state or at least all over the region. And that's tragedy because of the leak of the information of the possession or the existence of the letter itself. I, I, I think it, it could have been managed in a much better way. And plus, as a ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, you want to be the lead. And we saw young Turks, if you will, you know, uh, Kamala Harris and, and Cory Booker themselves, you know, uh, taking a much more assertive role, uh, making motions uh, for German, more delayed tactics, you know, and the ranking member simply didn't follow suit. And I would never apologize to Brent Kavanaugh uh, for the women protesters who are exercising their First Amendment of the Constitution of free speech, even though if it was disruptive uh, within the U.S. Senate chambers, that's okay because that chamber belongs to the people of California or the people of the United States of America. And I would never apologize. And I think these country club rules are, are completely outdated with this president who seeks to undermine our institutions as we know it today. 
If uh, we get uh, more definitive proof that Kavanaugh did do these uh, assaults, um, would you vote to impeach? There's no question. It's up ultimately up to the House of Representatives, the lower house. They, they, they do impeach and they bring it over to right. Uh, the Your US role Senate. would be to convict, yeah. actually, yeah. to remove from office. Exactly. exactly. And you would and you would do that if you have proof. There's no question about it. Because uh, let me tackle this issue head on with the issue of impeachment too. Mm -hmm. Because um, I don't believe, for partisan purposes, Democrat, progressive, moderate, conservative, Dem, moderate Republican, far right wing, ideologically driven and charged Republicans, that impeachment, the legal process, should ever be politicized or weaponized. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in that at mm -hmm. all whatsoever. I believe that you have to have a legal standard. And once that legal standard has been established, then if you, you can move forward with articula, uh, articles of impeachment, then you do move forward, if in fact that is the wish of the body. That being said, I want to really underscore, I'm not into hyper-partisanship to weaponize the process of impeachment. It's, there's a legal standard, a baseline yeah. that must be met. And if that baseline is met, then you do move forward with articles of impeachment. So now that we're on that topic, uh, how about for Donald Trump? Yes, I think it applies. It's, I think this. I think we have a president that makes uh, uh, um, Richard Nixon look like a choir boy. Mm -hmm. uh, in comparison, uh, I think the financial enrichment, uh, financial gain uh, for him, both him and his his, his family members, uh, the assets, I think uh, potential real obstruction of justice uh, with the federal investigation with regards to any type of collusion. Uh, with uh, external uh, uh, spy agencies or nations, in this case, uh, the Russians or the uh, the Politburo of the Russians and these uh, national security spy apparatus undermining uh, the electoral uh, uh, process in the United States of America, 2016 presidential elections. Uh, the question is yes. And again, let me emphasize, I'm not into weaponizing impeachment, but there is a legal standard for me. And the question is, how low must we go and how much more lower until we realize that at least for the uh, chief executive uh, of the United States of America, that we have clearly met that legal baseline. So you've seen enough public evidence already uh, that you think you're, we've met the threshold for Trump? Yeah, I think so, there's no question. Okay, um, so uh, you're also in a unique position that when you were running in the primaries, uh, you did get some attention from the press. Uh, because you're this, uh, you know, the president of the California State Senate, and uh, and so they uh, viewed you with a good deal of legitimacy as they should, uh, and and so you got some attention there. Uh, since you've moved on and in a sense won the primary uh, to to uh, go up against Diane Feinstein, have you met a different reception from the press or the establishment otherwise in California? Well, you know, they, they have covered, covered it somewhat. Uh, they haven't covered it, I believe, to the extent um, that the voters deserve with regards to the contrasting juxtaposition of our values, of our vision for the state of California. Um, uh, I, I, I think that's why I think news media outlets, I think like the Young Turks are absolutely critical. I mean, you were the Jorge Ramos of the Young Turks, if you will, you know. That's a uh, high compliment, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Jorge Ramos, that's why I say Univision for me is tops, you know, mm -hmm. with someone like Jorge Ramos, you know. Uh, and I think that we've been using other, you know, social media platforms to, to, to talk about this race and, and um, the importance of this race. Um, it's unfortunate. 
that uh, mainstream media have not given it the the the, the intention that it, and the importance that it does require. Uh, but uh, that's why I'm, I'm listen. I'm really happy and honored to be here with you, and to have an opportunity to to speak to the hundreds of thousands of viewers of the Young Turks. Uh, this is an important uh, media uh, outlet uh, for for the country. So I, I appreciate that. But when you uh, talk about the mainstream press, what do you think their attitude towards this race is? Are they basically assuming uh, a victory for the incumbent? Is that why they're not covering it much? Is it too much news otherwise? Or do you think there's something else to play? I'm just curious what your you know, take you know, on this. It could be you know, some of the editorial boards, so maybe this is a fatal complete. And the fatal complete, you know, we'll give the rubber stamp editorial uh, with regards to the incumbent. We know her, we're accustomed to her, it is what it is. You know, news media is dramatically different than it was. These are not the Walter Cronkites of, of, of back in the day. You know, corporations have now uh, owned, uh, are now owning uh, media outlets. So it's not uh, uh, completely independent, free, you know, objective press that we knew back in the day. And not all press was back in, the, even back in the day, was, was, was free and objective. But it's a different dynamic altogether. That's why, again, and I'm not trying to uh, toot your horn, but I think that's why media outlets such as the Young Turks or absolutely critical to, to give a perspective. It's ultimately up to the viewership to, to decide themselves uh, whether they like what I'm saying, if they believe in what I'm saying. Ultimately, they're gonna have to make their own decision. Uh, but I, I think that's why it's, it's critical to, 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 to engage with as, media, um, as many media uh, national platforms as, as possible. So you're you know, a fairly well-established uh, politician in the, country, in, the, in the state, obviously. I mean, you're one of the most important positions as the president of the Senate. Um, but Feinstein is the Mac Daddy, if you will, of establishment sure, sure. politicians in California. So, how has the rest of the political infrastructure within the Democratic Party reacted to your candidacy? Well, that's a good question. You know, I, I will say I'm honored because I did receive the endorsement of uh, the California Democratic Party. Um, I've had hardworking uh, men and women, um, home care workers, nurses, women and men who work the docks. Um, janitors, uh, men and women who are building our clean energy uh, uh, um, uh, future in California, they've all endorsed my candidacy. Uh, two million strong uh, from the California Federation of Labor, uh, Bernie Kratz, as well as those who voted for Hillary Clinton, have all come together, united, uh, to endorse my candidacy. And um, um, the Bernie Kratz played a huge role, there's no question about it. At the California Democratic Party, they were decisive. There's no doubt about it. I have to, uh, I recognize it and I respect that. They played a huge role uh, making the decision at the California Democratic Party, and I got the 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 the, the, the imprimatur, if you will, the seal of approval of the rank and file members of the California Democratic Party. And uh, but you know, other elements of the establishment in Washington D.C. obviously uh, have not been supportive of my candidacy. They're, they're with. Uh, uh, the incumbent, and it is what it is. I understand it, but listen, I've always been a disruptor to status quo. You know, I've always challenged establishment authority. Now, that may sound a little counterintuitive because you may say, "Hey, wait! By definition, you being the leader of the, the Senate, that in itself makes you the establishment." But one thing I want to really underscore that when I became the leader of the California State Senate, and I did it with a multifaceted coalition, I made a decision that I wanted to move a progressive agenda. I didn't want to just occupy a political space with a tremendous amount of power uh, during a, a, a finite period of time and say that I'm the leader of the California State Senate, arguably the most second powerful person in the state of California after the governor. 
I wanted to use that political capital to move policies, policies such as $15 an hour minimum wage, 100% clean energy, sanctuary state, the Disclose Act. Now, with all the ballot initiatives, you got to put openly and publicly for all the voters to see who are the top three biggest money donors uh, in California to those ballot initiatives. You know, uh, issues such as uh, public financing, single payer. We got out of the Senate. Unfortunately, didn't make out of the Assembly. But I wanted to use my position as disrupting the status quo and not just being part of the establishment. And if given an opportunity by the voters of California, that's the, those are the type of values I want to take back to, to Washington. We've got to export California values to Washington, not the other way around. So you mentioned uh, Disclose Act there. So that's uh, the campaign finance reform, yep. money and politics. So if you're in the United States Senate, um, what are the proposals that you think you'd be in favor of on that issue? Well, listen, I worked closely with, with Trent Lang, and uh, uh, really closely with Trent Lang. And we moved something that I think is far reaching. I think we might have more work to do in California when it comes to campaign financing, when it comes to campaign reforms, when it comes to public financing. We have a lot more work to do in, in, in California. It's just the beginning, if you will. In Washington, D.C., quote unquote, Citizens United has to be overturned. Um, and and, and if, I, if I may add, I don't think we should be using, quote unquote, Citizens United because it's not like the citizens are united for corporate financing, it's corporate united or united corporations, you know, coming together. We can't use the words that, you know, the frame that they've created and all of a sudden it's part of our vernacular. So it's not about quote unquote Citizens United. We have to overturn this. That's the bottom line at the US Supreme Court. Now with the 5-4, it's tough. With a Republican president, it's tough. But we have to work hard to get a Democratic president in the White House. We have to work hard to get a Democratic U.S. Senate if we're going to overturn uh, 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 corporate United. And, and, that's, uh, and that we need to do public financing. We just have too much money, too much money uh, in the system. So would you support a constitutional amendment uh, to do public financing of all elections yeah, without in the Without a US? question, I've, I've, I've voted for public financing in the California legislature time and time again. So mm -hmm. that's nothing new to me. Yeah, and how about a convention to propose an amendment? So there's two paths to, to an amendment. Two-thirds of Congress proposing one, which is difficult in these times. Yeah, that's true. Or, or two-thirds of the states proposing a convention to propose an amendment. Yeah, I'd support that. That's not difficult. Yeah. Okay. That's not difficult because I'm on the record and I voted on numerous occasions for public financing. So to me, it's something that it's not a no-brainer because if you believe there's too much money, in the, uh, in the political system today, uh, then to vote for public financing, whatever the process and vehicle may be, uh, whether it's a constitutional change uh, that requires two-thirds of both houses as well as the legislative bodies throughout the country, then so be it. It'd be a hell of a uh, difficult to do it with the current climate today. Right. But, uh, we have no other choice because right now uh, the Republicans have a, an absolute trifecta in terms of the executive branch, the bicameral legislative branch. And right now, the feather in the cap is what they ram through the U.S. Senate with regards to Brent Kavanaugh on the 5-4 decision. Yeah, so, and, and California has voted uh, for a convention. So it's one of the five states that has, Yeah, and, and you were there. So that, that makes sense. So um, you mentioned Bernie Kratz earlier, and, and it does look like there's, and I certainly believe there is, a fight for the soul of the Democratic Party. Uh, and so to oversimplify, uh, people uh, I'm sure are curious, 
which side you come out on. So now they, they you might agree with their policies in different areas, etc. And 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 it's not to say that one group is the bad guys necessarily, mm. but uh, but there's the Bernie Sanders, Rokana, Ocasio Cortez wing. Then there's the Schumer, Pelosi, uh, Tom Perez wing. Um, so is there one wing that you identify with more? Well, I, I know Rokana. Rokana is a good friend of mine. Rokana is a, a strong supporter of, of my candidacy, along with, with with Jimmy Gomez and a handful of other progressive Democrats like Raul Rijalva from the state of Arizona, who uh, uh, is the chair or was the chair of the Progressive Caucus. Uh, in, in, in the Congress. So these are very strong supporters of mine. Um, I actually had the honor of having dinner with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, just recently. Uh, we were both uh, speakers back to back at the Netroots conference uh, in New Orleans. Uh, so just about maybe a month, month and a half ago. I love her politics. I love where she stands. I love the courage of her conviction. Um, it, 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 it concerns me the attacks that she has been receiving um, as if somehow, some way, uh, she's going to, she's a subversive, you know, she's a strong young woman with the courage of her convictions. She has very strong values. And she says, these are the proposals I have. And these are the proposals that give an opportunity. I'd like to move forward in the Congress. There's nothing wrong with that because folks in the middle and folks on the right have an, uh, the opportunity to move their proposals. And we have the debate to see which proposals are much stronger. So um, I have a, a strong affinity uh, for the, these individuals in the Congress. And if given an opportunity to be your voice in Washington, Cenk, uh, uh, I'd be working closely with them along with everybody else. Yeah, and uh, Ro Khanna and, and Raul Grijalva for the folks at home are the first two incumbents to become just Democrats. Uh, which is to run without uh, corporate PAC money and and uh, on a really progressive platform. So they, can I add something, Cenk? Yeah. And, and these two individuals um, endorsed me right away. And when uh, Ro Khanna ran for uh, the last seat that he currently uh, holds uh, against an incumbent, the establishment authority, uh, then Congressman Mike Conda, mm -hmm. uh, the whole establishment, a lot of my friends uh, were on the side of Mike Conda. Um, I made a decision and I said, I'm going to roll. Uh, with Rokana, and I was the first uh, uh, highest elected official to come out publicly uh, in support of Rokana. So uh, that was bold, and and you do deserve a lot of credit for that to uh, to uh, support him against an incumbent, uh, and and of course knowing how progressive he was running. Uh, so uh, and and so I get that those uh, roots run deep, no question. Well, one more thing, I think some progressives are worried, you know. We hear some things on a campaign trail, but you know, you worked a lot of deals and good ones that, mm -hmm. that got good results in California, including single payer, etc. But you know, if you if you go into the Senate, then you're going to be in a different bubble, right? In a different context. And so when Chuck Schumer says, "Hey, Kevin, we got to we you know we got to compromise here, and we're going to do this, this, and this," and some compromises are perfectly fine, and some are not so fine. Um, they're concerned that you're gonna then go and vote with Schumer on some of those things. I know it's a broad concern, but what's your take on that? Well, Jenk, I would say is, is I think a lot of folks are for the first time hearing who I am and mm -hmm. what my values are and where I come from. But look at my record too. I'm one of the main authors of the most far reaching net neutrality measure in the country, bar none. I'm the author of 100% clean energy, the most far-reaching climate change policy in the nation. 
I'm the author of Sanctuary State, and Jeff Sessions came out to California to sue California because of my law. I'm the author of uh, Yes Means Yes, Sexual Assaults on Women on College Campuses. It's affirmative consent. And I also was the main negotiator on the Disclose Act, working very closely with uh, uh, Trent Lang. Give him a call. Ask yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Ask the play-by-play. You know, I can't say things willy-nilly and knowing that I'm going to be contradicted, you know, by somebody else and say, no, he wasn't the one, you know. He's embellishing it. No, that's who I am. Those are my values. And those are the values I want to take to California. But guess what? I cannot take them to Washington, D.C., unless we get our folks out there to vote. I don't want to be aspirational bumper sticker. I want to speak truth to power. I want to be the ones who take the progressive values and push them hard and make them the laws of the country because they have a positive impact on the human condition for all Americans. It doesn't make a difference if you live in the Deep South, in the Midwest, the Northeast, the Northwest, or here on the Pacific Coast. These are policies that improve the human condition for all Americans, regardless of the color of your skin, who you love, regardless of which God you pray to. That's why I'm saying, look at my record. Look at my values and do the right thing and make sure we vote come November 6th. Well, uh, 27 days left. You guys are gonna get to make the call. Uh, Kevin DeLeon, President of the California Senate, uh, looking to get into the US Senate. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, appreciate it, thank you.